Welcome to At The Whiteboard with Ruth and Nicole, the podcast for people who want to crush it at work. Each week, we'll talk about the latest tips, trends, and tricks to help you love your job and to help your boss love you too. It's like having a personal coach whispering advice into your ear, but without the whispering. Okay, let's get into this week's episode. And we're live over here as well. Yay. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hi, everybody. did it again. Every time. Every time I sound like Minnie Mouse or Mickey Mouse. Hello, everybody. It still makes me Welcome laugh. Welcome to Whiteboard's podcast. <laughs> what if we did a whole podcast in funny voice? We could do it for an April Fool's joke, maybe. I feel like we would forget halfway through. <laughs> Just start talking. Maybe. No. Let's see how long we'd last. So, Hi. Hi. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are again. Both of us with coughs. <clears throat> yeah. So pardon any coughing today. We'll try and keep it to a minimum. How has your week been? Um, it's been a quiet, slow week, a fast week because of the long slow weekend. Slow or fast? Short, but slow. Short, but slow week in, in terms in of volume. In a fast way. Yeah. <laughs> slow, but fast. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's been a little bit, because um, the last couple of weeks were so crazy, and this week, no meetings, but lots to do. Yeah, lots to do, but like uh, big things to kind of mm-hmm. tackle and... Mm-hmm. Rumble and with? Rumble with, so to speak. Uh-huh. See what I did there? I did see. You know what I did this week? Yeah, I'm afraid. I ordered us these. Yes. Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World by Cal Newport. You know why I'm making this face? Which is like a fake smile for those you don't who are like, looking. I don't like business books. Which is why like this whole thing with Brene Brown is sort of a stretch for me because it's businessy but not. Is this the same? Well, businessy but not? I read his uh, concepts on deep work. So it's like how to get into focused, deep, concentrated work, right? We're all so used to... <laughs> um, multitasking and trying to do everything at once, but we're not actually getting anything done. Mm-hmm. Um, so he really focused on a bunch of different strategies and tools to try and help you get into this deep focused work when you need to. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Hmm. Uh, and this one's much shorter, I believe. And it's kind of, they've, it's, they referred to it as kind of the Marie Kondo. That's funny. Um, okay. Now I'll read it. Life. Do you know, I've never watched any of that. I just heard about so much of it and I love to organize and I love that idea of it doesn't spark joy, get rid of it kind of yeah. thing. <clears throat> so that's what this is. The Marie Kondo of focusing in this digital age where we're attached to our phones. Yeah. I like it. So, so that'll be our next one. Our next. So once we're done, Brene's, so we're about halfway through. No. Well, just not, not quite there. Not yeah, quite not halfway quite. through. Yeah. Um, so we'll get to that next. So if you're, you know, get on your Amazon. If you're a keener. If you're a keener, get on your Amazon, order the book. Mine mm-hmm. arrived overnight mm-hmm. um, or go on your audible and download it for your listening pleasure <laughs> although I would say I did listen to Cal's previous book on audible and didn't enjoy it mm. I, I did enjoy it but it was not as I guess business books are just not great car reads yeah I mean I don't like audible books much at all I've tried she judges she thinks it's not no, as smart as it's reading not <laughs> <laughs> no it's um I I even tried to re- to listen to books when the author was reading it. Like I yeah. tried a Harry Potter book, I think, when J.K. Rowling yeah. did it. I didn't like it. Oh. Or Outlander when Diana Gabaldon was reading it. I oh didn't no. Like it. What you want I listened to all the Harry Potters on, on Audible on mm-hmm. a road trip, but you don't want J.K. Rowling doing it. Mm-hmm. They I had one where the people did all the different voices. It was like Oh now it that was like I a radio like. show. You know what I mean? Oh, really? Like it was almost like a, a play huh but just this the sound i have to not find the visual. that then because i would give that a try you need to find the right audio audiobook that that hooks you because mm-hmm. i think just like even regular paper books sometimes you just not you just can't get into it i think sometimes the audible book has to be just the right thing yeah. and just the right story i also wonder too because i know a friend of mine um listens to books while she's cleaning and doing housework and stuff I feel like I would be distracted and then realize I missed a chapter because suddenly I'm, you know, scrubbing something. Yeah. So I do it when I'm driving. 
And I find when I'm driving, I am very, always very focused on, yeah, on the Yeah, because I listen to the news or CNN a lot when I'm driving, and I like that. Rather than, sometimes I just don't want music. Yeah. And I same. like that. So, well, same. all right. We'll same, get, same, same, same. Same, same. Same, same. Twinsies. Okay. Shall we? Let's, let's, let's. commence. So, uh, as you know, we are reviewing um, Brene Brown's last book, Dare to Lead. Showing it again for our... YouTube viewers. And this book is, uh, she does a lot of work on research on vulnerability and courage and shame and empathy. Very different non-leadershipy words. Non-leadershipy words and has applied them to leadership. So we talked, our first episode was just an introduction to this book. I, I do encourage listening from the beginning for this series mm-hmm. because I do think there it builds. Yeah. Um, and then last time we went through sections one and two of part one, and we're going to do part three today. And in in section three of, of part one, she talks about what she calls the armory. Yes. So this was hard to follow. Yeah. So I was hard to follow on an on audio because I was like a list of sixteen. That's too many too many things for my brain to tackle. Interestingly, I also found it hard to follow. As much, I'm going to turn the yeah volume. If I turn the volume off here, does it turn it on there? Yeah, I'll be I don't fine. know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, no, I'm nervous. That's not going to work. So, <clears throat> when I got to this section, I'm reading along, and it was sort of like this introduction, which I'll talk about. And then it had the list of 16 things, and I went, "Oh no, 16 things." So then I actually highlighted in the book. <laughs> I disfigured like I she's her mouth is agape like a nine-year-old who just like accidentally stole a gumball from I the corner store I disfigured a book by writing in it and not a school book like a book because then I went okay I can find the elements of this and then when I realized you know how she talked in the first section about giving yourself permission to do different things I gave myself permission wow. to skim I was looking for the nuggets and I always feel really bad. And it's part of why I don't like business books because I feel like if I don't read every single thing and get it and internalize it, that I'm cheating. But I think you're so neat, Ruth. I'm such a, what happened there? I don't know what happened. My screen went crazy. (laughs) So in this one, in the armory, she talks about how we all have armor weapons, armor, shields, things that we use to protect ourselves. It's the opposite of being vulnerable. And that um, organizations today, you know that phrase, um, bring your whole self to work? Yes. When's the first time you heard that phrase? From you. Oh, really? Yeah. The first time I heard it was in the Ontario Public Service when they were being more inclusive um, and talking about diversity for the first time in a lot, well, ever in a really deep way. And they said that people need to be who they are and be able to bring everything about them to work. <clears throat> so that meant um, not having to hide your um, sexuality yeah. or hide your preference for how you work or your religion or that yeah. you pray in the middle of the day. Yeah. And so she said... That this idea of bringing your whole self to work is a great phrase, but that most organizations don't have the behaviors necessary to make that happen. 100%. And that's what these 16 things are that we're going to talk about. So in it, she said, um, if you are unarmored, so your heart is open, you're vulnerable, uh, she says that you um, cultivate courage and compassion And that you start to believe that no matter what I did today or what was undone, I'm still worthy. It's like that guy from Saturday Night Live. Uh, I'm a good person, darn it. Oh, yeah. And people love me. Smiley Smiley, or something. Somebody smiley. Stuart Smiley. Yeah. So the phrase is, no matter what gets done and how much is left undone, I am enough. I'm brave and worthy of love and belonging. And And to me, again, kumbaya, man. We're adding... Yeah. All this stuff. So if you are uncomfortable, if somebody's uncomfortable hearing that, oh my God, why is whiteboard talking about all this kumbaya stuff? It goes further. And she said it's actually then integrating how you feel and how you think 
with the behaviors that you use. So if I really feel that you should bring your whole self to work, then I need to make sure that my behaviors allow you to bring your whole self to work. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That I agree with. <coughs> I And we'll talk about it as we get through yeah. it. I struggled with a lot of of the language in this and it some of it didn't actually resonate with me. Good. All right, let's talk about that. So, I that's that's the whole intro to this section and but then mm. the, at the at its core, sorry to interrupt yes, you. No. At its core, I the concept of you know, we ask people like, you know, organizations are trying to be more flexible and inclusive mm-hmm. and you know, do whatever mm-hmm. and they're saying, "Oh, you know, feel free to like be flexible with your time and do this and that." But they're not often then encouraging that behavior. They're, you know, doing clock watching or rewarding people who work late, blah, blah, blah. So I think it's it's a great example of what are the behaviors needed in order to achieve this kind of feeling, right? I think that's a perfect summary of this whole section. Great. Because in it, this this whole thing, section three, is simply about behaviors. And that the reason we aren't great at them is we're afraid of being great at them. So part of it is us protecting ourselves. And part of it is us, I think, projecting expectations on other people that they will be the way we think they should be. Yep. And so in this, uh, if you're in the book on page 76 and 77, it has this list of 16 things that Nicole was talking about that seems very overwhelming. <clears throat> so what I wanted to do was go through them And she talks, first of all, about 16 examples of what she calls (coughs) armored leadership. So armored means, again, not being vulnerable, being directive. Being protective of yourself. Of yourself and um, thinking that you can lead people by uh, keeping control. Yeah. I would almost say controlling leadership, which is not leadership. Yeah, it's, it's very these behaviors that she talks about to me are not only about controlling ourselves, uh, sorry, protecting ourselves, but controlling or trying to control everything around us. Yeah. And I mean, we can't. I, I wanted to say that a lot of these behaviors are just ingrained in the cultures of yes. organizations, ingrained in <laughs> office culture, carte blanche, like yeah. ingrained in everything. So it's no surprise to me that it's hard to yeah. step out of these. And it's, you know, so hard to change cultures and organizations, right? Yeah, so I don't know what it, if you would agree with this. Um, I think if people are listening to this and thinking about either their own leadership style or their culture where they work, can they look at these 16 things and go, no, we're, we're pretty good at that, that, oh, we stink at this one. And yeah. recognize it as this is something that's been ingrained forever since the 80s. You know, we've never caught up with today's um, approach to, to culture and leadership. And this is these are the two that we should focus on. Yeah. So she gives these examples of 16 armored leadership techniques and then the corresponding daring leadership and how it would go. So I thought in this podcast we'd go like there's 16. So I don't want to go through them in huge detail pick a few yeah i know i have one in particular that like resonated with me and i actually just said it a minute ago Uh, it was about rewarding yes Yes. staying late and that kind of culture and overworking culture the first one i liked the very first one and she said that the first three i just dropped stuff on the table floor is it the the puzzle yeah don't (laughs) we're working on top of a puzzle that a friend of mine is working on and I forgot to put it away before we started recording. So, so I've had to already to touch anything. I've already had to redo A the puzzle, puzzle many times. Okay. Yeah. So she says that the first three are about uh, th- that it came up for the last twenty years of her research as the top examples of armor. Let's start with those. First one: uh, driving perfectionism and fostering fear of failure. So. She says that perfectionism, we have to understand, is not the same thing as striving for excellence. It's not self-improvement. She says that perfectionism at its core is striving for approval. And that if we're constantly telling people you need to be perfect or you'll fail, because this is the way we learned so long ago, that we're actually going to just drive failure. Yep. 
100%. I mean, to me, this is the, the wrist slap culture. Yes. Right? Like, every time you do something wrong, I'm going to slap your wrist about it. And it's punitive. Yes. It's not coaching style. Yes. So in that, after that punitive behavior happens enough times, you're then striving to be perfect. Um, and it's just not it, attainable and it's not ideal. And what she says is, I love that example of the wrist slapping because she said perfectionism drives shame. And that's the wrist slap. Yes. When you slap somebody's wrist at work and make them feel you're the boss and you make them feel badly about not being perfect... How embarrassing. How shameful. It doesn't even have to go far as not being perfect, but a culture in which um, I miss a deadline, Mm -hmm. you just right away say, Nicole, you missed the deadline again. Yeah. Fix it. You know, that's not right. Whatever the case is, is just a very different culture from one that says, Nicole, this was due on Friday at Thursday. Tell me, tell me what happened. Yeah. What's going, what's going on? What's going on? on? Whatever. All of our coaching questions. Like Mm -hmm. it's super simple. Like you don't even have to, I mean, some people say, oh, well, we're not striving for perfectionism. We just need things to be right. Mm -hmm. And I think this goes like a level higher and just says, Mm -hmm. this is, this is at the root cause of how we talk to people. Is everything punitive? Is everything a punishment? Is everything getting called out in a meeting? Yeah. Are you being called out every time something happens and then feeling ashamed that you didn't do something right? So how do you reconcile that with the need to hold people accountable for their work? Because I think saying, Nicole, this was due Friday at 5 p.m., tell me what happened. Mm -hmm. And then you may be describing the impact to you or, you know, our classic ASBE, like I couldn't say it more, Mm -hmm. um, should achieve the same goal, sorry, attacks the same purpose of of achieving accountability. Mm -hmm. But now I actually want to change because you've asked me kindly. I've been allowed to explain my piece, say what's happening. um, And I probably own it enough to go and say, here's what I'm going to do to make sure that doesn't happen next time, you know, when we resolve it and get out of it versus you're late again. I hang my head in shame and I run. Because that idea is that assigning blame piece versus being kind and curious and seeking to understand what went on, having that vulnerable conversation that maybe something happened where you missed it, where I don't even know what happened instead of jumping on it and saying, Nicole, in front of everybody. And again, missed it again. This is not for your chronic... This person is late every time, no matter what conversations you have with them. And it's repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. I'm not suggesting that you need to be kind and curious and coachy and lovely and, you know, with everyone. Sometimes you do need to switch Mm -hmm. to a directive hat. Mm -hmm. But if you want to change the culture of your organization, step one is stop saying, why did you? And start saying, tell me what happened. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that wasn't in her her section, her corresponding section, on modeling and encouraging healthy striving, empathy, and self-compassion. It was very short. And I thought there was more room here for that. I agree. Um, she does say that a healthy, strive, a healthy striving for excellence is different than striving for perfection. And I, I agree with that. And I think there could have been more of a discussion on how to deal with missed deadlines, things that aren't as expected. And yeah. how to have that conversation. She talks about it elsewhere, but I thought it was missing. Yeah. Here. Um, the second one that was kind of interesting um, to me, uh, she talks about armored leadership on um, working from scarcity and squandering opportunities for joy and recognition. So um, that's fine. I don't, I think it's a good one. I didn't want to go into that too much. Um, she also spends time on talking about how we numb ourselves which I would encourage people to read because I think we do that, and especially at work. In numbing, she's talking about um, it can be as extreme as um, dependency on a, an alcohol or a drug yeah. to numb ourselves from what's going on, or it can be finding yourself um, playing solitaire for two hours or shopping online because you're really avoiding difficult conversations yeah. or difficult tasks at work. So that was interesting. Um <clears throat> But the next ones that I really liked uh, were the idea of being a knower and being right. This was her number five on the list because we've talked about this a lot. And she said, uh, if you need to know everything, it's pretty miserable for everyone, not uh, you and everyone about you. If yeah. you have to know 
everything. And she says, knowing can become a culture problem when only some people are valued as the knowers. So no one else will speak up. Interesting. And I thought you would um, think that's interesting. I did. I said it was interesting. Because of your story that you've used before where you didn't speak up because you didn't feel like a knower. Someone who was valued as a knower. Yeah. Yeah. Or it made me think directly of like micromanagement. Mm -hmm. Right? And that I've often seen new managers want to have this control and use this uh, checking and, you know, this ability to know every single detail about everything so that theoretically they could go and present everything to the the director or whoever was next up and you had no part in it. Yeah. And they got to take the credit for it. That's that's when I heard that part. That's all that kind of came into my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. And uh, she said the big shift for the culture is from wanting to be right versus wanting to get it right. Oh, love it. I right? loved it. And that's, again, something we preach all the time. All the do time. you want to be right or do you want to be effective? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I that, think- it, this was one of my favorites of hers and that that in our culture in so many organizations not just organizations but <clears throat> social groups i have a hair somewhere here oh i see it got it it was itching your nose <laughs> it was tickling my nose <clears throat> but that it could be not just at work but social groups um Anytime you have a group of people together where there's a knower or a group of knowers and everyone else is like, I'm not even going to say anything because I'll just get picked on versus people who are open to other. And I think that's part of what's going on in the world today as I wave my hands expansively and as we get really existential. But think about how we've talked about um, how everything is becoming polarized, whether it's politics or whatever else, because we've moved to places where we're not able to have an open conversation because we all feel that we're right. Yeah. We're not seeking to be effective. We're seeking to be right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's no room in there. Now, I, something I rumble with is that there is room to try to get it right and to shift your opinions. And I feel like for me, there's a couple, there's some lines that I cross where I wouldn't be willing to have that conversation. And then we'd be getting into values and that sort of thing. But on a lot of things, like politics, for instance, there are values-based discussions in politics. And then there are discussions that aren't so much values-based, but where is better to spend your money? Or, you know, should we do electoral reform that, you know, Yeah, yeah. and there's room for opening that. So I thought that was kind of an interesting one. I like that one. And I think that speaks to what kind of organization from an organizational culture perspective, the way to me this manifests itself in meetings is people bickering about details and points. And at the end of the day, yeah, what, what do we need to move forward? It doesn't matter who is right and who <laughs> is wrong. Yes. Let's, let's keep moving forward. Like what's the resolution? Let's step it forward and get there. So from a, you know, the daring leadership strategy to kind of move past this is to say, is to start using the phrase, you know, hey, everybody, it doesn't matter who's right. Let's try and be effective. Let's yeah. try and get to the goal. Yeah. And so to me, daring leaders really go and set objectives clearly and say, okay, this has been a great discussion. What do we need to do to move to our next step? Where mm-hmm. do we want to get? And again, start asking those open-ended questions about how we get there. Mm-hmm. And Daring leaders will nip these Little bickering nip-picky. conversations in the bud. And similarly, mm-hmm. as a leader, will not be nitpicking and bickering with their team. Because you're modeling that behavior. Because you're modeling that behavior. And it's like, okay, you know, let's move past whether I said it was due at 5 p.m. or 4 p.m. Yeah. Let's set their standard now and make it clear between us and establish some guidelines and let's move forward from there. I feel like that has like three or four of these armored leadership concepts rolled right into it. Mm. The one that you talked about before, um, it rolls into the next one yeah. of hiding behind cynicism. So <clears throat> years ago, like a couple decades anyway, it was really popular to talk about the warm and fuzzies versus the cold and pricklies. So when you say things to people that are warm and fuzzy, it makes you feel good and it makes them feel good versus the cold and pricklies that that nag nag at people and 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 remove parts of their self-confidence and whatever throughout the day. 
And she talks about uh, cynicism and sarcasm. And I think we moved away from that from some, like, sure, you can ask people and they will say, no, it's still not good, but it's not as popular to talk about. And did you know, so she's in, this is page 92, she says, the word sarcasm is from the Greek word sarcasian, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, meaning to tear flesh. That's how I feel when people are sarcastic with me. Yes. And so she says cynicism and sarcasm, you're making a joke, you're making a funny, but it's hurtful, is like a get out of jail free card for not dealing with difficult things. Can I tell you a really silly and trite example of this? Yes. I actually was going to tell you this story even before we got on here and it was completely unrelated. So I'm in a, a mom's group. Um, that I paid an extra special membership for. So there's kind of a general membership of this mom's group. And then there's like an exclusive membership. Okay. And the exclusive membership gives you, you know, access to special events <clears throat> and freebies. I don't know why. I Because you like those things. I like exclusivity yeah. and uh-huh. that kind of stuff. Anyhow, so they, they have an event, you know, and they, you know, if you go to the event, you get a free pair of um, Nick's underwear, right? Yeah, all that new stuff that's advertised. Exactly. Yeah. Um, or this, that. There's always these little freebies. And so then there's a WhatsApp chat group. So the owner of this company, who's a mom, I think is really great, decided to send these little care packages out to the entire exclusive group, which is over 100 people. <coughs> she hand-delivered them all Wow! in the city. So it's all local. Yes. Okay. I mean, I don't know how she hand-delivered them or what the process was, but there was no postage on any of them. So somehow they were delivering them in, in some special way. Um, and there was just a few little sweet gifts and a handwritten card. And right. I just went, wow, that's very, um, very thoughtful, very kind. And in this WhatsApp group, it would just be constantly people writing with these sarcastic comments like, haven't gotten mine yet, sad face. Have, you know, and like still have still checking the post office every day and nothing for me, sad face. And they were making me so mad. Because that's I just, how they made her feel. I know. And that's all I could think of is <clears throat> here's like a woman, mom of two kids, just quit her job to like do this mom's group exclusively in Toronto. I think it's a fabulous thing, blah, blah, blah. Hand wrote 132 notes put a little gift pack together, packaged it, and then somehow hand-delivered it all over Toronto and let you're still whining that you haven't got yours yet. And I just, and the sarcastic comment, like the haven't got mine yet tear face just got me so frustrated. And that's what immediately made me think of is this sarcastic comment where really what you're saying is, I want my free stuff. Why didn't I get mine yet? But you mask it in this like... Oh, well, um, there was an example, I can't remember the specifics, but it was in a meeting and the leader said something like, hey, Nicole, that was a really good report. Thank you. And someone else was like, so mine wasn't good? Right? Or, hey, thanks for complimenting me on mine. You know, those sorts of, so social group, work group. It can happen everywhere. And this idea of where the sarcasm is funny, it's not and it sometimes it's it's like little ones and they're kind of funny and there's a line and when you cross that line and it's different for everyone you're now really hurting people and you don't even know it and i really have always felt that people who use sarcasm that way are very uncomfortable themselves and that's what she says and so the antidote is being clear and kind ta da you know it's like brene gets us she gets it, us. Kindness and curiosity leave no room for anger and resentment. Be clear. Be kind. Don't assume. And she says also practice the courage to say what you mean. And then, yeah. uh, and then also cultivate hope. Practice the courage to say, I haven't gotten mine yet. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. When can I expect it? Yes. Instead of every day for five days yeah. making the cry passive face. Passive aggressive. That's another one. Right, just infuriating, and And I think this this idea of being clear, uh, this clarity and kindness being one is a magical turnaround for me, particularly who has difficulty saying hard things to Mm -hmm. people. Right, if I've got a, I have Mm -hmm. a preference for feelings, so I'm often always Mm -hmm. thinking about how other people feel first. This idea that now 
In fact, the true clarity is more kind than me trying to uh, hide that or protect your feelings was magical and came out in that course when people were, when we were simulating and people weren't lying to me about why they were standing up to leave. I'll save that story for another time. Yes. Um, But in clarity comes kindness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And that's one of the posters Actually, I think I used that one on Instagram today. So Brene has all these free posters that you can use for social media. And this one, today's was clear is kind, um, unclear is unkind. And you it. are setting people up to, be, to fail, whether it's not being clear about your instructions. And that was my very favorite one of all these that you said when we talked about it before, you don't like it. So I'm looking forward to getting yeah. to that one. Um, when you're doing that, when you're being passive aggressive, sarcastic, cynical, it's not clear. It's not clear. It's unkind. You're playing with people. Be clear about what you want. Don't mask it yeah. in a joke. And it's it's funny because it's often, um, I've seen this as like a strategy people use to, you know, someone said something unkind to me, so I mask it as a joke and try and use that as a way to get in. No, mm-hmm. I think That's it's just good. better to be super clear. And I often say, whenever I'm coaching someone on how to have a tough conversation, the less words you can use, the better, in fact, are the most impactful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I felt hurt because this. Yeah. yeah. What I need from you is this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just say it. Stop dangling and verbal diarrheaing everywhere. Yeah. Because that lack of clarity is unkind. Yep. Um, this also morphs into this next section where she talks about using criticism as self-protection and I think I do this. And it's things, uh, it, her sentence is, so this is number seven. Innovation is hindered by allowing criticism from the cheap sheets, the seats. And the examples that she uses are nostalgia and the invisible army. So people use history to criticize different thinking, uh, which is, um, we've never done it that way. That's not how we do it. And then the other one is the invisible army of, we don't like doing that. We uh, don't want to change course. We don't like the direction this is taking. And she has said to people before, who's we? This invisible army that we use. So I don't do that one so much as the nostalgia. I struggle not with innovation as a whole. I'm a big fan of it. I struggle with (coughs) small changes, as you know. And let's look at this a different way. And let's look at this a different way because I'm stuck in how hard is it going to be to do something different? Is it possible even? What are, what's it going to mean to do it differently? Or what are the risks of doing mm-hmm. it differently? Mm-hmm. And as much as I, I've always thought that I like change, I think there, comes, there, are, there are more and, and less times in everyone's life where they like it or they don't like it. Of course. And we so often talk resiliency is all based on, yeah. on your past experiences with change yeah. and could, your change fatigue could impact your resiliency yeah. to change. That so I sense. think I do that first one and then she just talks about it more with... Um, that when we do that, we feel safer. Yeah, you've yeah. created. Yeah, you've created your own armor, armor. of yeah. of of people by saying we. Yeah. So she t- she talks in her next section about um, the antidote of that is turning contribution into a rumble skill. So making that if you're struggling to contribute, you're struggling to get on the train of change. Rumble with that and figure out why. I thought that was kind of a neat one. Yeah. So every time you're resisting change, can you honestly ask yourself, yeah. what's what's troubling me about this? Yeah. Why am I criticizing it so much? Yeah. Why don't I like it? What about it is troubling mm-hmm. me? What about this is making me say no, no, no? Mm-hmm. That's, I think, a common theme in what we've covered so far in this book of really getting to the root of what's my reaction all about? Where does it come from? And in some parts of this book, she goes as far back as looking at at what we're dealing with from our childhood, from how our, not not just our childhood, like how we were raised, but were our parents more or less successful at work or at business? Did we hear about all those sorts of things and therefore we've absorbed them and taken them on? So that's kind of interesting. Uh, Number eight is using power over, which I think we know about. And it's it's that idea of (laughs) um, using hierarchy to have power over other people instead of to, in my opinion, um, contribute your experience, your influence, 
those sorts of things. But when you lord it over people, like you talked about before, like I'm yeah. presenting to the director, ooh, you know, yeah, um, that's not helpful. <laughs> so she said, power, instead of power over others, say power with, which is finding common ground among different interests, or power to, which is giving everyone on your team um, agency to get their own work done and acknowledging their unique yeah. potential. And the way I see this manifested at work is things like um, junior staff prepare presentation materials, yet only the manager goes to present them, right? And so one of the ways yeah. um, I've seen, and you've done as a leader, and I watch you know, different mm-hmm. great leaders do this now, is you know, saying something like, no, 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 I'm not going to present this. You know, Mary did this work and Mary should present it. I'm here to support. Yeah. But they are, you know, they're responsible for the work and they have the answers and I'm just here to help. Um, And that's a very different um, context than trying to hoard and and take control over that information by saying, well, my staff did it and and I'm presenting it on behalf of my staff. Mm -hmm. Right. So bringing your team into meetings, bringing people who prepared work in on those discussions and allow them to be part of the hierarchy says we're doing this as a team together. And that's power with that she power talks with. about. And I like that. <laughs> Instead of power over, power with, power to, give other people power, and power within. Recognize your own power to help other people. Yeah. Um, it seems so obvious. And I think that if and anybody reading this who has been a leader for more than five minutes probably can see themselves doing it. I can see one of my, I was, it wasn't even my first leadership role. You, you've heard this before and my friend will recognize if they're listening to this. Um, they gave me a presentation and I edited, I edited it with a red pen and he kept it and showed it to me years later because he said, I kept this because I always referred to this as blood on a page and I didn't ever want to do this to anyone else. How's that for feedback? Unfortunately, not in the moment. Even though we had known each other a long time and it would have been very good feedback for me at the time. It wasn't until much later when I had learned that lesson another way. Yeah. But. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, Number nine uh, is hustling for your worth. Which means. Jumping in everywhere, including where you're not strong and not needed. Um, Because when we sometimes don't understand our value, we uh, get in everywhere and feel like we need to get in everywhere. And maybe you're not wanted there. And maybe you're the person who has a commentary on everything, but it's not even there in their section or their role. She says, we often exaggerate our importance in ways that are not helpful. I often, whenever I see behavior like this, and so, you know, again, I always like to try and pull what Brene says for me into a work example or yeah. something that yeah. I've seen at the office. Um, and to me, that is like the one person that has, you know, you know, they're going round table and they have a commentary on everything, something to respond to every single thing that is said. Like there oh, just yeah. is not... A break. There is not an opportunity where they don't have an opinion on yeah. something. And I always, I mean, whenever I look at it and reflect on it, I'm like, wow, that's someone who's just not confident and literally are literally trying to prove themselves in all the ways possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that it's okay not to be strong in everything. You know, they're the people who at the end of the meeting, does anybody have any questions? And they'll actually say, no, I just wanted to add. <laughs> right? How many times have you heard yeah, that? No questions, questions, but no. I just want to add yeah. to have the last word. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, like it, uh, I always think um, <clears throat> of always reflecting, you know, when there's a conversation or a meeting happening, you know, is this my area of expertise? If you and I are with a client to sit there and I'm going to say, you know what? This is Ruth's area to talk about. I may not agree with every point or every strategy, but this is this is her area. This is her product. This is her piece. That is for her to take. You know, there's no value in me jumping in and saying, you know, that's all great. And I'd yeah. just like to add. 
just to put my own value in. I know where I'm valued and where I'm not needed. Yeah, and all those other little pieces might have been that striving for perfection. Yes, and I have just a huge aha. Oh, please do tell. Part of knowing where you're valued is also understanding the value of others. Yes. Right? Yes. So if I truly value your opinion, your um, expertise, your knowledge, your everything, then I don't need to add value to myself by jumping on top of that. Yes. I can step back and say, there's the value. That's all that's needed. That's essentially, you've just summarized that whole section. Thanks very much for joining us today, everybody. (laughs) Yep. Knowing your value is critical. Um, because you don't take other people for, for granted. You don't step in where you're just stepping on. Um, yeah. And you, what she says, you create lanes where none exist right now. So my value is this, this, and this. Your value is these other three things that I've never even thought about because it's not my, my thing. <coughs> so there's a section in here. We don't need to talk about it unless you want to because it's compliance and control. I think that's very obvious, holding on to thing, reducing work to tasks and to-dos, and then spending time, this is the only thing I wanted to mention, ensuring that people are doing exactly what we want, how we want. Oh, yeah. It's, again, micromanaging behavior. Like, if we talk a lot about, if you talk a lot, a lot of these armored leadership behaviors Mm -hmm. are the classic behaviors I see from insecure, new, um green (laughs) managers and leaders who are so obsessed with being perfect Mm -hmm. that they become terrible leaders in that strive to prove their value and their worth and to prove why they're there. Which is why we usually teach understand the what and the how. And if you can be clear, so this next section was my favorite. If you can be clear on what needs to happen, the outcome that you want, then you should not care how. So if I can be clear with you that, my, that the outcome should be this is achieved by this date in this budget with this, I don't know, these specifications of quality, then I don't care how you get it done. Go fill your boots. Let me learn from you. Figure out. But if I tell you everything, you know, situational leadership would say there is a place for that for the person who is brand new. Yeah, they right? need directions and sure. clarity. And it, we should definitely at one point do something on situational leadership because it is such a cool tool and really speaks to a lot of this, right? When are you being directive and being very clear and mm-hmm. prescribing the entire flow? Yeah. And when are you just leaving it to like, you've done this before. I know what you can do. I'm, I'm here to just check in and peep in and say, yeah. do you need my help? No? Great. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Yeah. Um, there's a phrase that I wasn't aware of. Um, you know how we talked about that terrible phrase that I learned from 15 years in the automotive industry, the, the single throat to choke, yeah. like who's responsible. So at Apple, they call it the DRI model, the directly responsible individual, which I like. Why is that funny? I'm laughing because I am now, uh, we were listening to this in the car on the way to Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. And immediately when that happened, uh, my husband pulled out this idiot, <laughs> this very tiny journal and he was writing something down, and I was peeking, and he was writing the DRI. Oh, really? Hilarious. That just made me laugh, because he loves, like, eats up knowledge like that all the time, and well, so I did like it. They used to use it, but then they improved it. So, right. Tom, if you're listening, it's not all that and a bag of chips. Um, they actually said that even though somebody's willing to own it, they may not be set up for success to do it. So they have a task, T-A-S-C which is T, who owns the task? A, do they have the authority to be held accountable? Uh, S, do we agree that they're set up for success? They have enough time, resources, and clarity? And C, do we have a checklist of what needs to happen to accomplish it? So I thought those were really good. And then this section, so you said you didn't like this, so I'd like to know why. She talked about what does done look like? So in process improvement world, we talk about operational definitions a lot. So... You know, go count the number of blue shirts in the room. What do you mean by blue? Uh, What classifies as a shirt versus a sweater, all that. And um, so we've talked about that before. And um, Brene says it's things like, uh, what does done look like is great. It's a great question. So done means the report is 
you've pulled all these reports and you've stapled them and you've collated them and you get it to me by Friday at five o'clock. <clears throat> she says there's more to it than that. So she actually used the word paint. So paint, paint done, for me. done for me, which means I want the report because I'm trying to show people the difference between A and B and the report will outline that for me. And if I can paint more around it, then I think what she's saying is not just the specifics of when it needs to be done, but why the context, then the person who's pulling the report can either go, you know, she's also going to need this, or they can tell me in advance, this report's not going to do what you want. You need this other report that you didn't even know existed. And so she says it's about setting people up for success by being, it's back to that being clear. Yeah, and I, I love I love that part of it. I, I love the point of what does done look like. Yeah. Paint done for me was just a I, I had a bit of an eye roll with it because okay. I just I couldn't anticipate how I would describe paint done for me and what does done look like. It's to me they're actually one and the same. Oh, all right. I, I see how she differentiated them and I yeah. understand how in paint done for me, there was more context, there was more impact, there was just more. Mm-hmm. What would work better? I don't, I, I, I was trying to, I'll, I'll add that to say, I think it should just be what, what language works for you. I just sure. think paint done for doesn't me work. doesn't, it's, you know, we have that line that you said, can I offer you some feedback? Maybe yeah. a very uncomfortable line for yeah. people, but can I tell you something is super easy. <coughs> I wonder if it would be something, for me, what the language that would work would be, what's your operational definition of done? That would be the first part. And then give me the context. Yeah. Which I think is what I, my interpretation, Brene, if you're listening, <laughs> can you imagine? Um, Brene, help I'm, us out. I don't mean to put words in your mouth. <laughs> I, I think that's what that means. Is not just, 100%. Not just, da, 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 da. here's all these little things that I want done. And I don't even want to tell you how to do it, but I just want more context yeah. so that I get why you're doing it and I understand a little bit more and I can give you, make sure that I give you what you need. I, I did love the part, and if I, I believe, again, baby was crying throughout much of this section oh, as I was reading it. Lillian yeah. was being a bit of a pill. Um, that it's not just so much as sending an email saying what does done look like, that it actually means stand up with the three or four parties who are involved sure. and have a, a rumble, a rumble, a rumble of yeah. what d- done looks like uh, because that is what pulled out some of that uh-huh. impact and consequence and dependencies in, in getting uh-huh. that task done. So, I, I like you know, that. like I said, I, I wasn't that frustrated with it. I just paint done for me just didn't. Yeah. Didn't sit with me, but perhaps much like can I offer you some feedback is just something you need to practice using and maybe it comes out. I could just, I could, I'm thinking of other organizations or other people just kind of giving you like a a huge eye roll. Well, so yeah, I think that's the right thing. Whatever language works and what you're trying to do is get the whole picture, the visual. So you tell somebody, I want all these reports, I want them by five and here's what, my operational definition of done means that you've pulled them for the last three years, that they're alphabetized, they're organized, and you've only included the executive summaries because that's all I need. Here's the context. I'm speaking to these people next week because somebody could, if I just stopped at the first part and then I look at it and I'm not happy with it or it flopped, they would have said, well, if I knew that's where it was going... I would have told you that you need to add this piece or that right. they did that last time and didn't like it. And this just speaks to it's clarity. Just, I just love it. It's just uber clear. It's uber clear. And what I love about it is it doesn't put all this onus on the manager or leader to like uh, yeah. dictate all the steps Yeah. in a way. It just allows them to frame what they're looking for and why they need it. And I think, my gosh, <laughs> if I look at like working in the government or listening to how my husband, you know, deals with things in the government where they're just constantly getting requests from the minister's office. And they're like, uh, why do you need to know this? What's the context? Like, yes, I can provide you this information, but tell me more. Can you paint me a picture about right paint? Yeah. And it's, I think it goes into this number 11 of weaponizing fear and uncertainty because I don't want to tell you, why should I tell you you work for me? I don't need to tell you why I want this. I'm just going to tell you I want it. 
Yeah. And, and it's, it's this... So I was telling you, um, I was uh, sitting with someone in the emergency room of a hospital. And all the information that we were getting was the bare bones. Take this medication. Do this thing. And there was no explanation of why and the impact. No explanation if you're going to tell somebody, for instance, you need to drink more fluids. Okay, maybe I will just because I take orders that way. If you tell me why, I'll get it more. <coughs> um, if you tell me that this, I need to come in at this time because you won't take as long or we need to get to you faster or, or, or. <clears throat> it's telling the complete story and helping people be set up to be successful instead of making them fear and, and working from this fear perspective. Listen to me because I'm a doctor versus yeah. listen to me because here's the story. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's also like, tell me the story yeah. could also work as paint. For sure. Paint done. Sure. Tell me a story about done. Yeah. You know, tell me a story about what this looks like at the end. Yeah. Whatever language works for you. The number 12 is the one that I think was your favorite. Rewarding exhaustion as a status symbol and attaching productivity to self-worth. Was that the one you said was your favorite? Yeah. Well, it was. it's one that struck a chord with me because mm-hmm. I worked with a leader who actually said to me, you should be more like so-and-so. So-and-so is here every night until nine. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, why would you want me to be so-and-so? Because mm-hmm. so-and-so is reading the newspaper and waiting for you to come out of the office to get some things signed. Yeah. I don't think that's efficient use of time, to be completely honest. I managed to do all my work in the required time and got home and was able to do X, Y, and Z as well. So I I just remember getting so mad at that expectation that me staying at work till nine was what showed that I was doing a good job. Imagine where it's bad to say that you want to be spending time with your family on a long weekend or that you're... um, it's this big badge to say, <coughs> oh, I still handled my email on a Sunday. I know some people want to because they feel they're getting ahead of Monday morning. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about this badge of honor that I worked on the weekend, that I, even on my, I took my laptop on vacation. It's this rewarding people who are always on, always connected. And it's interesting because um, Brene talks about this Dr. Stuart Brown from um, says that the lack of downtime or what he calls the lack of play actually has a bad effect on our output at the office. 100%. And if you think about it, it's also a way of ascribing value to yourself. Yes. It like to me, it's always a sh- like a, a bit of an insecurity thing. Like I need to show you how important I am. Like when I hear... You know, friends or whatever being like, oh, I had to take the laptop to work. You know, mm. I had to work yeah. on the weekend. Oh, no, no. Look how important It's I like, am. oh, you're important. Get it. Good. Great. Now go spend time with your family. Good for you. Right? Um, mm. Or same thing at work, right? It's people who I think need to assign some value to themselves. So it's always rooted in insecurity. Yeah. You know, I think you should be very secure if you're capable of finishing your work in the allotted work hours. Yes. Um, and you do it efficiently or if you figured out a faster way to complete your tasks. Yeah. Like I, to me, that's what gives value. Maybe because I'm a process improvement person, but value to me is how fast can you get it done with quality? Yes. That's smart. And then take the extra time and, and do, do something, something else, else or, or relax. Well, relax and enjoy for the times when you do need to work late, yeah. you know, and you need that energy. So apparently play shapes our brain, fosters empathy helps us navigate complex social groups, and is at the core of creativity and innovation. And they say that the um, opposite of play is not work. The opposite of play is depression because you're not able to do those things. And um, remember a few years ago, Ariana Huffington wrote a book on sleep. Yes. It's this next level. So yes, you need to get more sleep and you need to not be so connected and that rewarding that. If we're leaders the armor of rewarding that constant connectivity is actually having a negative effect on our productivity. 100%. So that- and I would say this is this part I, I do see changing yeah. in the workplace. I do see this kind of as a changing culture. And, you know, people aren't, I don't know whether just because Blackberries kind of went out of yeah. style or yeah. what. Now everyone's just on their phone all the time anyways. But, you know, 
you see less and less of that kind of behavior um, these days. And we'll focus on that more in digital minimalism <laughs> in our next thing. And um, number 13 is tolerating discrimination and a fitting in culture as a bad thing. Um, and uh, I'll just briefly cover that one where she says, the greatest barrier to true belonging is trying to fit in. Because fitting in is not the same as belonging. Yeah. And if you're fitting in, you're changing who you are. So that comes back to that being your whole self and allowing people to be their own selves. Um, This one was kind of cool. Armored leadership is collecting gold stars versus daring leadership, which is giving gold stars. And there was an interesting thing that we need to understand that once we transition into management or leadership, winning medals and stockpiling ribbons is no longer the goal. And that it's okay, um, perhaps if we're in roles that aren't leadership roles, to be really excited about getting gold stars or rewards and recognitions mm-hmm. or trophies or whatever. But, or and, when we I guess we could equate that to like bonuses and yeah. uh, nominations, awards. All that stuff at work. Pay increases. Now, we in leadership roles... We are, it's no longer about doing that. It's about giving it to other people. Yes. It's about rec- lifting up other people, recognizing yeah. however they choose to be recognized. This one was really a no-brainer. No no-brainer. No-brainer for me. No. But I could see how in some organizations, again, yeah. in those managers who are insecure, don't have the self-value to recognize yeah. that their worth is actually coming from their teams, not from... Yep. Themselves. She, the next one, 15, talks about zigzagging in times of vulnerability and what she's referring to as procrastinating. Mm-hmm. That we zigzag. We just, I'll write this letter and <laughs> do that thing and, and all this instead of having to make the difficult call. And at the end of all that, I still have to make the difficult call. Right. So we're zigzagging. And the last one is leading from hurt. Um, that we, we work, this is the one I mentioned where it's right from... Um, our childhood or our experiences that we're always working out our stuff all day and that you shouldn't be working out your stuff on your people that you're working with. Mm. Um, Instead, you should be trying to figure it out. And that if you can invest time attending to your own fears and your circumstances, whether it's um, by talking to a professional or talking to friends or any of those things, we're going to be a lot more successful. But if you're trying to work it out at work, and your, you know, your role models when you grew up were always this way. And so you always feel like you have to be this way and you're struggling with it. You know, you shouldn't be, but I don't care because I'm still going to be because it's comfortable because I know it. That's not helpful. So she says leading from the heart um, is the best way to do that. That's the 16th. So this whole section is really, as she says, talking about the fact um, that the fear of vulnerability comes with taking off armor. Um, that we have this fear of being judged or misunderstood or making a mistake or being wrong and experiencing shame and it's universal. And the whole point of this entire book then is to realize that to be a leader, we have to take off that armor. We yeah. have to stop controlling the wrong things. We have to stop forcing people to act like we do. We have to stop being sarcastic and protecting ourselves from being uncomfortable because it's not helping. So yeah. this whole set, all those 16 things were examples of things that are not helping <laughs> that all of us do some things more than others. So <clears throat> I think that idea of looking at it as a, either thinking about your organization and what it rewards or how it acts or yourself. Yeah. I think it's a big, like this whole thing is a lesson on self-awareness. Yes. Like how are you behaving and what, what is that about? Are you feeling insecure about your yeah. value or are you feeling insecure about what you provide, but you can stay really late? But are you feeling insecure about what you do, so you need to steal it from your team and, and yeah. take those rewards? Like, I, I think, like, all of this armor is rooted in insecurity and lack of self-worth and self-value yes. and confidence to some extent. I and so, to, in yeah. a way, sometimes I, like, I just scratch my head and I'm just like, I just, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. I just don't and maybe I've just never been that way, but I'm not saying that in a self-righteous no, way. No, I think sometimes we aren't aware. I did I coached um once a woman, younger woman, who was not a new leader, but I'm going to say she was probably 5, 6 years into her leadership role and um super self-aware. She was on a leadership program and part of it was coaching and they had done an assessment, so 
I sat with her to go over her assessment. And she was, she was really great. Really, really great. I enjoyed her. I thought she would do very well, very well. And we started talking about things that she wanted to work on. And she was struggling to find the thing. So somehow we, we flipped across this conversation about how um, she wished her team didn't spend so much time at work after reasonable hours. She wanted them to feel like they could go home. I don't impose that on them. I don't know why they're doing that. They, they respond to emails late at night and they don't need to. And so we, we talked more about it. Well, it turns out that her boss requires her to do that. So she gets in early and leaves late. She sends emails at all hours of the night and all that. And she said, but I don't require. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can find us on all the usual social media. Our website is whiteboardconsulting.ca. And this podcast will be available visually on YouTube by searching Whiteboard Consulting Group, Inc. Or if you want to read our blog that summarizes it, you can check out At The Whiteboard, a publication on medium.com. Finally, if you have any questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at info at whiteboardconsulting.ca. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.